The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Friends, internet, beautiful people, Brother Worlds, Josh Norris here with Ian and John for your Monday slash Tuesday podcast at the end of week three, heading into week four. Gentlemen, how are we? Doing good. Now we got almost three full weeks of action under our belt. Saw some mostly good football yesterday, a few bad games, but... I like, I like the late starts we get for this new podcast on Monday because uh-huh. it allows me to intake more coffee before we come on. So I'm actually like more prepared and awake now. Can I um, be honest with y'all? You always are to start pods, so I you had, might as well continue. I had my heart broken this weekend. Oh. You know, it, it's a six-year relationship. We've done like 300 episodes of this podcast, so we should. I, I feel like I should tell the listeners all about okay. this. So six-year relationship, and you know, they're like peaks and valleys. They're highs and lows. And it actually happened yesterday. And, you know, it was a really big moment for me and the other party because it was one of those great moments where you feel that, you know, your team, Aston Villa, could beat Arsenal. I was wondering and where this was going. One, now it makes sense. With a man up with about 10 minutes to go, mm-hmm. and then just this, this club that you've devoted so much to, so much to, so much energy, so much passion into, gives up two goals in the final 10 minutes with a man up. I did witness you watching the game before we went live on air Sunday morning, 15 minutes late, but I will say, like, I am jealous, not that I watch the team or anything, I'm jealous that you derive that much joy in anything in life. Well, I also, I've never been that excited ever. I also had a lot of joy seeing in the look on your faces when I was talking about what you thought was a relationship, because we know that's completely out of the case, because well, I write about too. football online. Yeah, All right, um, so today, everyone out there, we will be talking about some notable narratives from the weekend, kind of spinning those forward as the show goes along. Plus, at the end, John Daigle will hit on some very, very important waiver claims in your league. And that all that list is available in his waiver wire column. Let's mm-hmm. start off, though, with tailing off the end of last night's uh, Sunday night performance. It was the L.A. Rams beating the Cleveland Browns 20-13. to 13. My question to you is this. Is it too early to really, truly, completely worry about this Browns team? No, because the exact problems that we were somewhat worried about coming into this season have come to fruition. We worried about the Browns' offensive line. When they released Greg Robinson, only to re-sign him, had very, you know, traded Zeitler for Olivier Vernon, just pretty much ignored their depth across the entire front. And, yeah, Baker has had a very little time throughout the year. Hasn't helped his cause, but 
there has been no dominance from this offensive line. And then adding to those problems is their tight end situation. I mean, they talked about it on the broadcast a little bit, but last year they at least had Najoku. I think it was Fells. You know, two guys that could, even if they weren't the league's best blocking tight ends, they could moonlight a little bit, help chip guys. Now they got Demetrius Harris, Ricky Seals-Jones, who are glorified slot receivers. And let me, I mean, there are so many problems on this team. Mm -hmm. Just to jump to the tight end, though, to me is like underselling how bad Baker Mayfield has been, how bad Freddie Kitchens has been. Play calling horrendous. Horrendous. And we look last night against the Rams. There was a situation where on a third and nine, they run a screen to Nick Chubb. Mm -hmm. On fourth and nine, they run a draw to Nick <laughs> Chubb. To me, that's a play caller who shows zero trust in Baker Mayfield. And Baker Mayfield hasn't shown him anything to gain that trust so far this season. And the play calling has set them up for the longest average third down, over 12 yards per third down um, every single game this year. And as you said, it stems from Baker Mayfield, but it begins with what Ian said, the offensive line issues, because they clearly can't protect. Baker Mayfield, uh, per friend of the show, Evan Silva, was number one in the nation all three years in Oklahoma, mm -hmm. passing against pressure. And so far, his rookie year, median rate against pressure, and this year, towards the league low and passer rating under pressure. Uh, I don't know why it is trailing that much, how you were so good in college and then suddenly terrible as the, the league gets more and more tape on you, but it's clearly an issue, especially because it's not getting any better. The pieces they have in place now are their offensive line for the future. And it's not just not getting better, it's actually getting worse. Yes. Like I think Baker Mayfield is getting worse in terms of pressure, in terms of working in the pocket, mm -hmm. there were times when the offensive line was actually doing their job and they were giving him space to operate. And instead of working in that confined space or stepping up into this pocket that they created, he wanted to drift out to the right side. That's something that, if it continues to spiral out of control, can tank that offense. He only has three touchdowns, five interceptions so far this season. And it also doesn't help that the play calling has been back. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the offense looks broken. It reminds me of the Tennessee Titans last season. Like, the offense just doesn't have an identity right now. And when everything is in structure, it certainly seems like they want Baker to hit his back foot and throw the football as soon as possible. But because of offensive line, because the receivers aren't getting open, he's having to hold the football longer. And this playmaker mentality that he has, that Deshaun Watson also has, right now Baker Mayfield is showing he's no Deshaun Watson. He's no Deshaun Watson, and we just... But still, even last year, he wasn't Deshaun Watson, but we still at least saw him, you know, get outside the pocket and get a chance to set his feet. Now, I mean, it was almost like watching Kyler Murray where every time he tries to get outside the pocket, he's just going backwards because he's kind of got rushers in his face. But I agree, it's not just offensive line play calling. And another thing to keep an eye on, too, this defense, I don't think it's going to be getting any better because Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, top two cornerbacks. I mean, late last week, they suffered hamstring injuries and winded up not playing. So... If this defense is going to be an average group and the offense keeps playing the way it is, yeah. it's, it's a problem. The secondary somewhat sustained itself given their numerous injuries against Jared Goff on the road last night just because the front seven can get pressure. But over time, like it's, it is a disaster. Right. And it's just a bummer because this team, I understand, they weren't going to live up to the high expectations they were laid out anyways, especially because chemistry matters. But this team is genuinely not fun to watch. No. Like, they are bad. No. <laughs> Entertainment is a major factor. And let's look at the schedule, by the way, for the remaining games that the Browns have in the next couple weeks. I mean, it's at the Baltimore Ravens at the San Francisco 49ers, and then the Seahawks at home, then a bye week, then at New England. Those four games in those five weeks, sure, they get a little bit of extra time to prepare for the Patriots. 
I mean, this team could win four straight. I mean, lose four straight, maybe win half of those games. If they win three of them, that's a major benefit. It just genuinely sucks because not too often does a quarterback come along that is open and honest with the media like Baker, especially when he's rolling. But now he's just being contained. He doesn't look good, as we said, under pressure. It's just it's just miserable for the league, honestly. Well, and Freddie Kitchens honestly does look a little bit over his head yes. at the moment. Yes. And it makes sense. 365 days ago, we had no idea who Freddie Kitchens was. Mm-hmm. It's still just shocking to see how how good this offense was without OBJ and pretty much a similar offensive line for the last, you know, seven, eight games of last season and really taken over the league at that point. Now for this to happen, I mean, 40 quarterbacks have started a game this season and Baker's outside the top 30 in adjusted yards per attempt, quarterback rating, completion rate. He's just been flat out bad. Yeah. And I mean, Nick Chubb's getting opportunities, 58 carries in three games. Odell's getting his opportunities, 30 targets, 19 receptions, 288 yards and a touchdown. Look, I don't want to completely write off the Browns. They're not 0-3 here. Like, there's still a chance that they can put it together, but that would have to completely divert off the path they're going off right now, and that's a major question. Daigle, let's move on. I feel like we've crushed the Browns enough. Again, I I think still is time for them to turn around. I knew you want to talk about the Saints, because this is a Saints team that has lost Drew Brees for six weeks, most Mm -hmm. likely, turned to Teddy Bridgewater, and just a little bit of Taysom Hill, and we were to beat Seattle at Seattle. So we infamously, I infamously, I won't throw you under the bus, uh, teetered the idea of Alvin Kamara becoming an RB2. But it turns out when you lose your starting quarterback, you just automatically become the most important uh, running back in fantasy football. Yes. Alvin Kamara leveraged Drew Brees' absence into a career-high snap rate, 88% of offensive snaps. And thus, let's go through the roller coaster. It led me to then turn on the Saints game last watch it like oh like they were up by three scores against the Seahawks without Drew Brees that's impressive that was one of the most miserable offensive performances <laughs> I've seen this week uh, Teddy Bridgewater threw one attempt over 15 yards and it wasn't completed by the way they depended on Alvin Kamara to make absolutely nothing out of screens behind the line of scrimmage and he did because he's Kamara and he just danced and pinballed his way around on Bounced a 29 yard touchdown But when they were pinned on their own 20 to drive, it was horrible to watch. Mm -hmm. They had to buoy uh, stopping the Saints on fourth down on the 40-yard line to take a shorter field into a touchdown. They had to use special teams to return a kick. Um, It was just... Defensive touchdown. Yeah, defensive touchdown. It was just truly, truly miserable. And they were set up shorter field because they missed a 53-yard field goal, but then got... Uh, broken out of that because the Seahawks jumped offside. So they got a first down and then ran it in for a touchdown. That was what led to Michael Thompson's one-yard pass. Um, There is not too much reason to overreact just yet because the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football are on the slate, and I'm truly a believer in holding back um, whenever you have that big of game ahead of you. But for the first example we got in the non-Drew Brees era this next six weeks, it was miserable, and do not let the numbers fool you. And real quick, I mean, they, did, they got the win in Seattle. That doesn't mean as much as it meant three years ago, especially with this particular Seahawks team. I mean, we saw them eke by the Bengals in week one, eke by the Steelers without Roethlisberger in week two. And now, you know, it's the game wasn't even as close as the final score was. I know Disley had that late-game touchdown. I mean, it, it was a comfortable yeah. loss for them. But – This isn't a great Seahawks team, and the Saints certainly, I agree with you, did not look like a good team either. Just two completions of over 10 yards for Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Taysom Hill saw the fewest snaps of the season so far, which surprised all of us. But like you mentioned, 
it's just not sustainable the no. way that the Saints won. I mean, that's fine when they jump out to an early lead because of those special teams and defensive touchdowns. But we look for identities, right? And if identities can carry over week to week, game by game, if you're up, if you're down the scoreboard. And in this small sample size that we do have Teddy at the quarterback position at the helm, um, the offensive style was not sustainable for success. So perhaps Kamara then teeters and hangs around as a top five running back for the rest of the year. But with this offensive path, he can't. He yeah. won't. Like, he has never played, as we said, a career-high 88% snap rate, and that's for a reason. Sean Payton hates playing him that much. So why would he suddenly continue doing it week in and week out because he feels forced to? Well, I, th- I think we look at small sample sizes mm-hmm. here, right? And they did it this week because it was working and yes. because they wanted to win, and they were winning by a, hand, by a big margin. I mean, obviously, Seattle had an untimed down to make the scoreboard look yeah. decent. Um, so it was working this week. Who knows what might work next week? Latavius Murray might have 17 carries yeah. for 78 yards and two touchdowns. Like, that could be a possibility, or Michael Thomas gets more involved as well. I would point out, too, like, the Saints, they are kind of a dink and dunk offense. It's not like we breeze or chucking the ball downfield That's all the a great time. point. I think in week one, you know, he had that long completion again to kind of help ice the game, but that was it. The problem is... Breeze, future first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he's earned the respect of defenses and defensive coordinators a little bit more than Teddy Bridgewater. So it wouldn't surprise me in future weeks to see defenses load the box even more than they did yesterday and cause for even more problems. Which is why I'm genuinely concerned about Michael Thomas moving forward. Alvin Kamara, top 10, it's still up in the air for me. Yeah, you mentioned Sunday night. That's Cowboys, and they actually have them at home, New Orleans. Then it's Tampa Bay after that, Jacksonville, and the Bears in their next uh, four games. And, again, who knows what Drew Brees looks like when he comes back from thumb surgery. We're talking about thumb surgery here. And, Uh, like I said, they could open the offense more. Perhaps they held some things back. It was Bridgewater's first start. Let's just get out of Seattle and then continue on from there. There are seven teams that are 3-0 right now. Dallas Cowboys, L.A. Rams, San Francisco 49ers, Green Bay Packers, New England Patriots, Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs. Some of those teams heading into the season, you know, we anticipated them being very good. Some of them, we are surprised that they are 3-0. So, Ian, let me turn to you. Who do you think the best team is in football right now? I wanted to say the Cowboys, but I still think it's the Patriots. Look, they're number 10 in yards per play. Number one in yards allowed per play. I know they really haven't played anyone, but this defense is dominant, and it comes from their secondary. I mean, Stephon Gilmore, I think when Belichick paid him all that money, you know, kind of we don't see him really throw that much money at free agents right. over the years, and he did it kind of surprise some people. Well, I mean, I think anyone's list of top two cornerbacks in the league needs to be Stephon Gilmore and Jalen Ramsey. Like, he is that good, consistently takes away the number one receiver. Then we got the McCourty twins also in the secondary balling out. This whole defense is dominant, and I think we're going to see that moving forward. How they fleeced the Browns for this Jamie Collins deal over yeah. the last three years is one of the most hilarious storylines. I mean, a year ago, Jamie Collins was like being accused of not even trying on the football field, <laughs> and now he's being a difference maker for the New England Patriots. It's interesting because the Patriots are a different type of team that we can look at than any other because they've had the same decision makers in place, the same quarterback in place, yet their identity shifts every couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a new identity for this Patriots team than we even saw last year. Last year, they were a run-first offense and asking Tom Brady to hit three to five throws. And we know Tom Brady can do that. This year, Tom Brady is completely balling out. He's been absolutely outstanding. Um, He has the highest yards gained per pass attempt average of his career. He's been a top 10 quarterback every single week so far this year. And then on top of that, one, the running game hasn't hit and hasn't clicked. 
Dante Skarniecki is going to fix that offensive line and allow that running game to click. And you also have the defense that backs you up. And the defense, if it's good week to week, which this is probably the best Bill Belichick defense we've ever seen, I know that's early to say, they keep you in games every single week. And Gronk's not even back yet. Right. Well, <laughs> I don't even it's, think they need him. It's, they don't need him. He'd just be a compliment like Antonio Brown was. Yeah. Uh, and if the running game is not fixed in the back of Sonny Michelle, they will gladly just move on. Like, they don't care. Yeah. And right now, it doesn't look like it's going to get fixed in the back of Sonny Michelle. And they're making Philip Dorsett extremely relevant. Yes. That's a foreshadowing, mm-hmm. a suggestion, because I know we're going to talk about Philip, Philip Dorsett later. Do you have a different 3-0 team that you prefer, Daigle? Uh, I think the obvious choice is the Chiefs for me. You, mm. you genuinely just can't stop them offensively. They are too explosive, no matter what they get pinned down on third downs. Um, that Ravens game, when you go back and watch it, the Ravens – were lucky to be within one score. Yeah. The Chiefs just marched down the field. Ravens couldn't stop them. There are still question marks about Baltimore's defense, but it's just the fact that those were two MVP candidates, two unstoppable offenses, and one of them showed its flaws, and the other still not convinced it has any flaws. Without two starting running backs on your fourth string guy who then just walked out and uh, got all your targets ahead of your rookie you drafted, it's just... It was insane, and like I said, I genuinely don't think they can be stopped. They're more loaded than ever, Yeah, and that's scary, right? I mean, this is a team that doesn't have Damian Williams on the field. This is a team that doesn't have Tyreek Hill on the field, and they're just putting people out there with speed and playmaking ability that Mm -hmm. are adjusting to the catch. Like, Demarcus Robinson looks like a different player this year. I mean, last week he was making these circus grabs. This week he had this one-handed catch in the back corner of the end zone. These are players that probably in other rosters wouldn't be doing this, but in with the Chiefs, with Andy Reid, with Patrick Mahomes, they're in a situation to succeed, and they're doing it. And look, we saw the same offense last year. I mean, they've been the league's best offense the last two seasons. I think their defense has gone from terrible to mm-hmm. average to maybe a little bit below average, but that's all they need when they're scoring this many points. Added Frank Clark, added Honey Badger. They're getting Maurice Claiborne back uh, after this week. But Sean Breland's even playing some okay cornerback. I mean, the defense can at least hold teams under 30 points, and that's all you need. And when you think of Frank Clark, And when you think of Tyron Matthew, you think, one, with Frank Clark, pressure and disruption, and two, with Tyron Matthew, big plays. That is kind of the name of the game for these defenses that are average, ones that end the third and fourth quarter when it's close in the scoreboard, making, having your defense make that one play, that one big play that can give your offense an extra possession in the other team's half. This defense can probably do that for Patrick Mahomes better this year than they could last year. It's the Saints Super Bowl recipe. They just threw out a defense that had playmakers on it but allowed high yards per attempt. It didn't matter. And shootouts, when you know you can match point for point, all you have to do is create one or two plays of your defense, and then the offense will take it from there. And that's what the Chiefs are doing. I think the most fun part, though, about the Chiefs is watching Patrick Mahomes' development and yeah. just like his second full year as a starter. He's yelling at offensive linemen. He and Andy Reid are getting in like heated discussions during – clock management moments that actually matter. Like Mahomes is actually helping Andy Reid develop. That's that's cool. That's yeah. fun to watch. He's actually even more comfortable in this totally. offense. I think oh, this totally. Year. I quickly do want to talk about the Cowboys, though. I mean, you look at different times in a season, right? And good teams, it's not always going to go perfectly. It's not always going to go swimmingly. And the first half against the Miami Dolphins was not perfect. I mean, they were just 10-6 to 6 leading at halftime. Mm-hmm. They overcame that poor half. It's kind of like when you're on camera and you screw up and you know Often. you screwed up in your head <laughs> and you're frazzled and you're in the moment and it feels like it's taking 30 seconds. But instead of, you know, diving down deep into the dungeon of your performance that day, you, you reset, right? You mm-hmm. take a moment, you reset. And that's what the Cowboys did at halftime. And I think it's because they're able to do that 
Dak has taken that next step. And it's not just relying on this offensive identity of let's hand the ball off to Ezekiel Elliott. Now you can also hand the ball off to Tony Pollard. Now you also have Amari Cooper on the outside beating Xavier Howard. Mm -hmm. You also have... Pulling Xavier Howard. Right. You also have a fantastic play caller who seems very comfortable and confident in his quarterback and a, a quarterback who's very comfortable against pressure now. And this is just a different team, I think, that we have seen in previous years with the Cowboys. They're actually fun. Like, I think they're en fun. enjoyable. And I think a lot of the country hates when the Cowboys are good. I like this Cowboys team. Absolutely. And look, Kellen Moore deserves a ton of credit, obviously. But put some respect on this offensive line for getting back for to sure. being the league's best unit. I mean, th that was not the case the last two years. Dak Prescott had a 9.6% sack rate last year, which was, if not the highest, you know, right up there. Now it's at 2.1. I mean, that's more than half of what even his career best was back in 2016. So they're bullying everyone. And the one guy that also stuck out to me just rewatching that game, Robert Quinn. Hmm. I mean, he was bringing some heat off the edge. Even he, I think he only had one sack, but even if uh, you know they can just get some guy opposite the Marcus Lawrence, like we saw them have at Randy Gregory last year, that can help that defense even take another step. His uh, one sack was one sack more than Taco Charlton. So, um, <laughs> and one sack more than the Broncos have as a team so far, this which year. is still crazy. Oof. And quickly. Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott both rushed for 100 yards yesterday, but they didn't run into a single eight-man box. And that's not a fluke. That's Kellen Smart. Moore. That yeah. actually matters. Cowboys have the Saints and the Packers the next two. We're learning a lot about the Cowboys even more. So we talked about the teams that we think are the best of 3-0. Here's the stat for you. About 74% of teams that start 3-0 make the playoffs. So of the seven that we have so far, two will probably miss out. I don't want to, you know, Put a negative spin on people who are fans of these teams that are 3-0. But we have the Bills out there. We have the Packers out there. Mm -hmm. We have the 49ers out there. Are any of these teams maybe one that you might nominate? Again, sorry to make you be negative, but one that might not make the playoffs. I think it's the Packers. And wow. Their defense looks great. Yair Alexander is truly one of the league's next best cornerbacks. Kevin King is really talented, too. They added Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith. Pass rush looks great. They're averaging seventh fewest yards per play allowed. Their offense, 28th in yards per play at this point. I mean, we are not seeing any type of bump in Aaron Rodgers' efficiency from what we've seen over the last four or five seasons, which, look, he's still, like, an above-average to very good quarterback, but he's just not the world-beater that we saw from, like, 2010 to 2014 in this, you know, much-anticipated Matt LaFleur offense, which isn't, you know, hasn't blown me away at all. And, again, no. we talked about this in offseason. Like, they did not change their offensive personnel at all. They just kind of right. relied on this new scheme and Rodgers getting back to being Aaron Rodgers. And so far I haven't seen that. So maybe their defense can keep carrying them. We've seen the Bears and Vikings, you know, look up and down. So wouldn't shock me if they can still make it to the playoffs. But I don't think they're going to make any noise if they do. Matt LaFleur's offensive scheme, looking bad last year in Tennessee, should have paved the way for us to think this. Yes. But we assumed Aaron Rodgers getting a new offensive coordinator, they would work together to cohesively create something that wasn't Mike McCarthy's offense. And the fact is, it may not be Mike McCarthy's offense, but it may be worse. <laughs> uh, we are still seeing Jamal Williams involved with Aaron Jones in a timeshare. And the four ones had to stay. Yeah, and outside of week two, and week two now looks to be an anomaly, especially since LaFleur came out and said, like, that was wrong. We need to, I'm going back to the committee approach that we had in week one. And he did so in week three. Um, Aaron Rodgers just looks like he can't hit Devontae Adams. They said after the game last night that they do need to connect more. But Adams doesn't even have a touchdown yet. Yeah. I mean, it, they're, they're depending on fluke plays. MVS's touchdown yesterday came on a free shot downfield that Aaron Rodgers is so good at drawing week yeah. in and week out. And... That's what they're depending on right now because their offense is miserable. 
Yeah, the Packers D is giving the offense time to gel. The only question is, will it? Yeah. We haven't That's seen it. a Matt LaFleur offense gel unless they give Derrick Henry the ball 30 times. Can we let's go ahead real quick? I wouldn't know for concerned Devontae Adams uh, owners. Could not have asked for a better get-right spot at home Thursday night against his Eagles defense yep. that continually get frosted by number one receivers. So do not panic trade him yet. So are you predicting like a Mike Evans three-touchdown breakout performance like we did last Maybe week? Maybe even four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, momentary discussion of the Buffalo Bills here. Um, I love the Buffalo Bills. Oh, yeah. I think they're a lot of fun. We were talking in the newsroom, Ian, that you think Josh Allen might be the third most enjoyable quarterback to watch each time you fire up Game Pass each week. Yeah, and watch. I'm not saying he's the third best quarterback, right, but right. to watch. The guy just, he runs around. I mean, even he, his five-yard scrambles are incredible to see. His interception was a terrible decision. He was stiff-arming a guy, throwing it off his back foot. That was still a good time. And, yeah, no, he, he is so much fun to watch. And he's throwing the ball downfield every other pass. I mean, how can you not love the guy? And, thankfully, this offense is built around him. Like, you get Cole Beasley as a safety valve. You get John Brown going vertically. I think if the Bills are actually going to be real contenders in the AFC, and that's a big step because you have to overcome the Ravens, you have to overcome the Chiefs, you have to overcome the you have Patriots. You overcome your own division. Yeah. Exactly. Um, then Josh Allen has to limit those mistakes. Yep. I don't know if he can. Like, I think that that's just who he is, and that's fine, but that just might cap your ceiling as a team unless you do hit those games. And we've seen some, you know, mistake-prone quarterbacks not make mistakes in big games. Joe Flacco, for example. Um and maybe they get that small sample size where everything connects when they hit the playoffs and boom, you hit that stretch run with a Josh Allen who's focused and mistake prone, not mistake prone, but mistake free, I should say. I think this is going to sound weird, but I think putting yourself in position to make those mistakes is actually a plus for a quarterback. Yeah. And Tony Romo once said this on CBS when I think it was Jimmy Garoppolo didn't go downfield. Jimmy and then, Garoppolo. And then uh, <laughs> and he didn't go downfield on one shot. And Romo just said, like, no, you have to throw that interception. Like, you have to keep them honest Love and it. just give your receiver a shot. And Josh Allen is certainly not afraid to give his receivers a shot. At the very least, he makes defenses account for every yard on that field, unlike yes. someone like Teddy Bridgewater where you can set your heels 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage. 49ers overcame five turnovers yesterday. A lot of this is Kyle Shanahan doing his part as scheming open wide, wide receivers. Yeah, um, A lot of it is that front seven, especially that front four, front five, creating a ton of pressure. A lot of it's their running game where they have a true three-headed backfield. Mm -hmm. To me, it's just Jimmy Garoppolo needing to make those three to five throws that we talked about with Tom Brady in 2018. And if he makes those, they can win games. He didn't really make those except for that final Dante Pettis and maybe a couple other throws yesterday. But I think it's a still a question of, do we know if Jimmy Garoppolo has that next step to his game? The scheme is helping him right now because he looks terrible. For sure. Uh, but, but they're still winning despite. Yes, and, and the scheme is so good, we know it, that maybe they just skate by with that all year, which is possible. Well, you, I mean, 16 games is a much larger sample size than three games. Yes, correct. Yeah. Quick question. Where does, if at all, Tevin Coleman fit in no, when he returned. he doesn't. I don't think so either. You guys he don't doesn't. think he plays? No, no, I think he plays. I really don't think he but does. Really? Okay. Huh. I was thinking like 25 to 30% of snaps because I don't think Jeff Wilson's 10% role in the goal line is going away. No, me either. Uh, and Mostert and Brita are too good to go So away. you're going to have four backs active Literally, I think days? you have four backs. I don't think you do. And I don't know what you do with them. I don't have the answer, but I have a really hard time thinking Tevin Coleman's going to be a healthy scratch. If anything, like they're going to 
you know, I think his time frame on this uh, high ankle sprain was like two to six weeks. It's definitely going to be more towards that six weekend with how yes. well the rest of the backs are playing. And they do have a bye, so maybe he does return after that. Who knows? Once again, want to thank NFL Game Pass for sponsoring this podcast. You know, we go in the lab. We go in our dungeons, our mom's basements, and rewatch all these games each and every week on NFL Game Pass. The way for you to get a seven-day free trial is to go to NFL.com slash Fantasy. Look, they have full broadcast games. They have full coaches films. They also have games in under 40 minutes. So if you want to go and check out Daniel Jones's debut, Danny Dimes, whatever you want to call him, two rushing touchdowns, comeback victory for the Giants, go to NFL.com slash Fantasy. And all the other 31 teams are in there as well. For your seven-day free trial, again, that's NFL.com slash Fantasy. Now let's shift over to John Daigle's waiver period, his waiver wired column. It's certainly important at this time of the year with all these injuries that are happening to your lineups and when you really forget about where you drafted any of these players, Daigle's got you covered with his waiver column up on Roto World. But let's hit on a few of these notable names, starting with the New York Giants. We're always looking for these starting running backs that can be found in that waiver period. Yes. Wayne Gallman is now, the, that's the case with him in New York because Saquon Barkley is out with a high ankle sprain. The reports are Barkley will be out for at least a few weeks. But on the Giants' active roster right now, they have two running backs, Saquon Barkley and Wayne Gallman. Perhaps they sign C.J. Anderson off the streets. Uh, perhaps they bring back Rod Smith. Maybe they even call up Austin Walter or John Hillebrand from the practice squad. I cannot believe you didn't mention Jonathan Stewart. Uh, Jonathan Stewart's out there as well. I thought he was at UPS, but maybe not. Uh, either way, Gallman is going to get every touch. I am slightly skeptical on using your number one waiver wire unless you have Barkley on him, mm -hmm. just because we don't know the time frame for Barkley just yet. I would assume four to six weeks. I mean, it's a high ankle. It's probably four to six weeks at the very least. So if that's the case, then yes. Okay, never mind. Scratch what I said. Just use your number one pickup well, on him. But the thing with Gallman, I guess, is one, he's not the best talent. Right? Uh, he's not talented at all. Let's I mean, that's that. maybe taking a little too far. But I also think the Giants offensive line has improved this season. Now, mm -hmm. Gallman got no opportunity because the Giants were working back from a deficit. I think he had five carries for 13 yards uh, against the Bucks this weekend. Any thoughts on Gallman here, Ian? Because we care about opportunity. He might see 15 to 20 touches each He's going to see all the opportunity. I'm wondering how much the opportunity is going to be with Danny Dimes under center. It seems to me a little bit like a Josh Allen situation from last year where you got a quarterback who's fine with taking off, who wants to throw downfield, not check down. And, you know, we saw last year LaShawn McCoy really not just get enough opportunity week by week basis to, to um, you know, put up many fantasy points. I do think this Giants offense is more complete than that Bills offense was last year. You got more talented receivers and uh, people running around, but – I don't know. I'm I'm hesitant. Like if you know, yeah. if you got a fab bet, uh, budget, I would not use a ton on a guy who. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if they bring back Rod Smith and they roll out some type of committee right. system. I think just because same thing with Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, these, you know, oh, I hate this word, generational talents. Mm -hmm. Just because they get out, I don't think we should assume their backup is then going to take on that bell cow role. So I understand Daniel Jones' rushing ability, perhaps taking away from Gallman, but. I consider it a plus that Daniel Jones is under center because he at least keeps the defense honest, whereas Eli Manning did not before. Yeah. It was truly Barkley being special and making plays from behind the line of scrimmage. Yep. Uh, again, we're just skipping the surface of Daigle's waiver column. Go check out the full one on Rotoro. Next up is Nelson Aguilar. Here's the last two weeks for Nelson Aguilar and the Eagles. 23 targets, 16 receptions, 157 yards, and three touchdowns. I might add he went full Aguilar 
and you know fumbled a ball and made some mistakes on his own, but still had a very, very good stat line on Sunday. Nelson Aguilar and Matt Collins led the Eagles in routes run as their two primary starting receivers. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside was number three, but the lack of proven production and rapport that Hollins and Arcega-Whiteside bring to the table only enhances Nelson Aguilar. The issue here is that he is a hot commodity for one, two weeks, and then Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson come back, and Aguilar goes back to being Aguilar, mm. just like a single-game DFS guy and perhaps waiver-wire filler just in bye weeks. Um, but for this Thursday against the Packers, at least, it is a very tough defense, but Carson Wentz goes to him. They create plays to Nelson Aguilar. It is intently like you can tell when you mm. watch the game. Goal line plays, he's the receiver in their pick options. Um, so for at least one more week, he's their 25%, 30% target share guy. That's absolutely worth starting. I was very surprised to see Ertz so like minimally involved. I, I, I haven't rewatched that game closely. Detroit shut him down. I was about to say, I'm guessing the Lions just really focus their Concerned attention on Concerned intent him. to shut him down. But, yeah, I, I think he can give you one week upside at the very least. Yes. In this Packers matchup, uh, he's going to be in the slot with old man Tremont Williams trying to track him. Like, should not see much Yair Alexander, which is obviously ideal. I mean – Again, not a situation where I blow my entire uh, oh, no, budget no, no. on the guy. You said one week. You, yeah, he, he should definitely have that same streamer appeal we had this Sunday again. Antonio Brown is no longer a New England Patriot. Julian Edelman had chest x-rays, and I think we're going to MRI next. Josh Gordon was hobbled in Sunday's matchup for the Patriots. That has left Philip Dorsett in three games, 14 targets, 13 receptions, 187 yards, and most importantly, three touchdowns here. Um, look, Philip Dorsett... He's been in the league for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Is he finally making that post-hype, post-hype, post-hype jump here with the Patriots this year? It's more or less opportunity on a team that has converted from 21 personnel heavily last season to now they have to use 11 personnel and keep him, Josh Gordon, and Julian Edelman on the field. And any <clears throat> significant injury that comes from Julian Edelman perhaps missing time, I, I think he'll be fine for this week. But if he misses time, it also helps Philip Dorsett. It's only been two games now. He's played this season without Antonio Brown, but still 574 and over a touchdown average. Um, going back to last season, Philip Dorsett also scored touchdowns in the playoffs, as we know. He has an actual rapport with Tom Brady. Hmm. And, and this new look offense for the Patriots, I think he's actually serviceable for the rest of the season. At the he reminds me of like uh, Demarcus Robinson or Mecole Hardman, where when you're any, anyone in an offense this good, like yes. you're going to offer weekly fantasy value. You know, I still think he's more of just a clear-out option. I think they want Edelman and Gordon to be getting the bulk of the targets, but that clear-out option has been very productive through mm -hmm. three weeks. And, uh, you know, it's, it's wild that the Patriots, their easily kind of number three pass game option is a former first-round pick that can run a 40 in under 4.3 seconds. So he, yeah. he's well overqualified for this role, and because of that, we're seeing some pop performances. On the topic of Dorsett, on the topic of Robinson, on the topic of Hardman, you know, I was driving home yesterday from work because I had this lineup conundrum, John Ross or Miko Hardman or a few other names. And really when you boil it down, when it's that close in that decision, why go with the player in a bad offense in John mm -hmm. Ross when even if he's the third option like a Miko Hardman or the third option like Philip Dorsett in a good offense with the Chiefs and the Patriots? Go with the good offense because you only need one good play with an efficient quarterback, whereas with John Ross, you're hoping and biting your nails up until the end of the fourth quarter that he finally gets that fluke big play that can bring it home for you. Any so. nitpicking start set questions I get on Tuesday or over Go with the, the week best on Twitter, team? I always lean the best team over volume. Yeah. Like just being on a better offense that's going to score points can trump volume.
Speaking of the best team, uh, that's not where we're going with your last <laughs> waiver pick. No. And I'm actually keeping it to the end because I'm going to try to talk you out of this. Uh, Preston really? Williams, Miami Dolphins wide receiver. I know on Sunday, 12 targets, mm-hmm. just hauled in four of them for 68 yards. Uh, we talked about it earlier in the show. This was a good first half for the Dolphins, 10-6 to 6 going into halftime, um, their best performance so far. Why, when you just spoke about suggesting people on good teams, are you talking about the person on the worst team in the NFL? So – Game script, let's start here, for Preston Williams will always be great the rest of the season because it's the Dolphins. They will always be in position to throw 40 to 50 times a game. Now, it also depends on accuracy and efficiency, which is not good in the Dolphins. But let's digress to quickly go back to offseason activities where Preston Williams, an undrafted free agent, started training with uh, Josh Rosen in the second string and fourth string offense and whatnot. And then he got together with Josh Rosen in the preseason, collected 11 of 45 targets, a 24% target share from Rosen in the preseason. He then gets Rosen now in week three in Rosen's starting debut, regular season debut for the Dolphins, and gets 11 of 39 targets, which is a 28% share. So now we're looking, if we collect all those, it's a 26% target share for Preston Williams. He has only been charged with one drop thus far. He's still an Antonio Callaway. Like, per drive? It's, it's clearly, <laughs> he's clearly... Like, make some rookie boneheaded plays that Antonio yeah. Callaway did, but the explosiveness is there, the size is there, and the opportunity is absolutely there. Mm. I don't know if I want to target anyone in this Dolphins offense, mm-hmm. but I will say Josh Rosen has had like five or six deep balls just hit his receivers. Josh in the Rosen chest. has looked good. Uh, Josh Rosen, amidst a terrible supporting cast, has looked good this year. Imagine just having the worst supporting cast in the first few years of his career. Like, he really might have the worst luck in his first two years of a career than anyone else ever. So, don't talk me out of Preston Williams, because talk me out of putting Preston Williams ahead of Nelson Aguilar. No, you can't do that. I don't really want Why can't either. I do that? Because I that's think a that's sustainable a target idea. share for the rest of the season. On an awful team, whereas Nelson Aguilar could give you that winning performance just this week. Albert Wilson's got to be back at some point. Okay. I would, I would that ra- was a convincing argument. I right would there. rather have the person that leads me to a victory in one week mm-hmm. than maybe have bench fodder for the rest of the season and the last person <laughs> on my bench than Preston Williams, that he might be that in your fantasy lineup. All fair reasons. Not sure you budge me, though. All right. <laughs> we'll find out Tuesday morning. Ooh. Yeah, find Teaser. out in John Daigle's waiver column. Again, it's up on Rotoworld. Uh, Ian Harditz will be back on the Wednesday episode with his injury dashboard. Plus, we'll have Nick Minzio with start sits. Well, then we'll bring back Daigle um, on Thursday Always. for game previews. The snazzy six, we'll call them this week. Uh, plus, Roto Pat and his rankings. And then we'll be back, Roto World Live, noon Eastern on Sunday. So, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. You're watching on NBC Sports' YouTube page. And for hitting that subscribe button on iTunes, wherever you listen to this podcast. Talk to you all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.